Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, again, good morning. Uh, we've got uh, our student ministry out on a retreat this weekend, so be praying for them. And we're honored to have some international students here as a part of Space Weekend. And we are grateful and glad y'all are here with us today. And they're going to be going to a a lunch right after this service. So, uh, welcome. Um, Just a little update. Uh, Many of you know uh, I had a surgery in July and was diagnosed with a thyroid cancer. And uh, we had to wait a while for some things to clear through the system. And I said when we knew something more, we would share more with y'all. And wanted you just to be aware, this week uh, on Wednesday, I'm going to have a treatment called radioactive iodine. It's actually a pill. And um, I will take that pill, and um, I will be somewhat radioactive. Uh, I don't think I will glow, but I'm not sure. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it's actually very, very treatable, and um, so I'm, we're very grateful for that and how the process works. And just wanted to update you on that, and, and if you feel led to pray for, for me and my family this week, we would, we would definitely appreciate it. I'll, uh, it's supposed to be outpatient, so uh, hopefully I, I can take the pill and actually come back home. Uh, I won't be preaching next Sunday uh, just because of all the stuff I have to do this week. Uh, Mike Lively will be, and then the following week, uh, Robert Sherrill will be preaching uh, for Thanksgiving for us. But uh, the, the, all the, the things look good. I, there's no way you can ever know with a cancer, and many of you have, in your family have battled things, uh, and clearly some of them much more severe than what I'm facing. Um, but... Uh, we're here all in this together. We're, we're God's family and uh, here to support and pray for each other. And so if you feel led, I would appreciate that. This morning we're going to look at, as we conclude, a series we've been doing on the book of First John, uh, a letter written by John to some of his churches. Uh, and this is the final, the final message in the series. Uh, in it, I wanted to kind of bounce back to the video you saw about confidence. And, you know, Webster defines confidence as a feeling or belief that you can do something well or, or succeed at something. And, and I think that's something we all want. We all desire confidence, confidence in, in our decision-making, confidence in, in ourselves, in our work setting, in our relationships. And the, the Apostle John, the writer, desires that for the members of his churches as well, we could extend that to us today. He, he's wrapping up uh, this letter to his churches uh, that he probably began in and around an area called Ephesus in what is today uh, modern-day western Turkey on the, on the seacoast, and um, uh, been dealing with some internal strife as some former members uh, of his church have began to claim that they were really kind of super spiritual somehow, and then they left his churches. And, and so John is wanting to encourage the, the Christ followers, the Christians who've stayed behind in those churches. Uh, and interestingly, as we look at some of the writings of John, John is credited generally with writing the Gospel of John, first, second, and third, the letters of first, second, and third John, and also the book of Revelation. So uh, five writings in the New Testament. And uh, the first one he wrote is generally believed to be the Gospel of John. 
And it's believed that he wrote the Gospel of John to bring people to faith. He says in the Gospel of John, near the end of the book, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And yet later, John has written some additional letters, and he tells us here why he has written this particular letter, and he has written it to followers of Christ, to believers. If you have your Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open it to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, which is found near the end of the New Testament, the end of your Bible. If you don't, we have notes in the bulletins that you can pull out that have the scriptures in them, the references, and some places to fill in the blanks and take notes. Here's what John writes. He says, I write these things to you who believe, in other words, he's writing to Christians, that in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to know, to, to have confidence, if you will, that through a relationship with Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life, that, that no matter what life throws at us, we will spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. No matter what comes our way, no matter whether there are, there are health problems that all of us face at some time or another, or relationship issues, or work crises, in the end, all of it fades in significance. The Apostle Paul wrote, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. That I, I give up everything else I have. None of it matters in comparison to Jesus Christ. Both, both John and Paul put this confidence, this knowing, not just at some point off in the distant future when we die and we're raised to, to eternity with him for those who trust him, the, the, the Greek language here in the, in the Greek has the, the sense of now, of ongoing, to indicate that eternal life is something that we can begin to have and experience now, even in the midst of struggles here now. It's this idea of not just quantity of life, but also quality of life. And this includes how we live out our relationship with God. Though he is the creator, you know, and we are the creatures, you look at those two words, we, we can still talk with this God. We can still worship him. We can ask for his will to be done in our lives. We can ask for his best to be done in our lives because that's God's will. If, if we have the fundamental conviction that God loves us and therefore what he desires for us is the best, his best. That doesn't mean we always know that, that we always understand that, that we always get that, which is why it's so important to seek his will over ours. Because just as our kids sometimes can say, you know, I want, I want to eat my whole bag of candy on, on Monday night after, at Halloween, most of us parents would say, you know, that's probably not a good idea. And they can make a very good argument, or they can at least argue passionately, that they ought to have been allowed to do it. But that doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. And, and that's the same thing here. God is always looking out for what is our best. His will is for our best. And so to seek him is to seek what he wants. 
John writes in verse 14 then, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, it's very important. He says he hears, but there's a, 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 an important qualifier that John puts in here that a lot of folks miss. And, and so sometimes people say, well, it says ask for it, so I, I want a brand new Porsche, you know? Or ask for it, I, I want to, to get this brand new job that'll pay me tons of money. Ask for it, and I'll get married by the end of the month. But that's not what's occurring here. This is not this kind of what's sometimes called the name it, claim it, or a prosperity gospel. The, the part of the confidence, John says, we have is that God hears our prayers and answers, but, but John says, always according to his will rather than ours. According to the one who loves us, according to the one who created us, according to the one who knows what's best for us, that he will answer those prayers. He, he wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to him. That's all prayer is. It's just talking to God. You don't have to do it formally. You don't have to clasp your hands. It's just talking to God. But in the midst of that, he wants us to talk to him in a way that glorifies him and seeks to do his will. As one writer put it, the wonder of prayer consists not in bringing God's will down to us, but in lifting our will up to his. I mean, this is what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ, to become more and more like him and and do what he did. And that is always the Father's will. That is always what he desires for us. Jesus himself said, look, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If Jesus can say that to us, how much more is God saying that to you and me? John desired that you and I have this profound sense of intimacy with God. That he's not some distant creature or distant being, unknowable, uncaring. Not somebody who wound up the universe and let it go. That he loves us, he cares about us, and he desires an intimate relationship with all people. And, And John talks about this often using the language of abiding. Now, that's not necessarily a word that's common in the English language today. But it was an important word to John. In, in fact, 44 times this word occurs in the New Testament of the Bible. And of those 44 times, 39 times of those, John used them. And of those 39 times he used them, 23 times are in this letter. So the more than half the time that John used that word abiding, he used it in his letter writing to followers of Jesus Christ and talking about how he wanted them to live. To, experience, to help them experience, to help us experience eternal life. The key is obedience and, ob- and abiding. Er, earlier in 1 John, he wrote, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. No matter what life throws at us. And it does. It does, doesn't it? No matter how long we live, at some point we, we experience things. It may be health issues. Yeah, I, I didn't start life thinking, hey, you know, I'd love to get cancer someday. That would just be fun. But someone else might say, I never planned to have that car wreck. Someone else said, I never planned to get fired at my job. 
All of us encounter things in life, and God tells us to abide in him in order to have confidence. And, and notice what this is really saying. Our confidence doesn't come in what we do. It doesn't come in what we know. It comes in who we know. We cannot understand the Christian faith if we reduce it to a bunch of rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why we who follow him are called Christians, Christ Christians, little Christs, because we follow Jesus Christ. John's been pointing us to this throughout 1 John, that the ultimate source of confidence in daily living is not in our abilities, not in our status, not in our good works, not in our grades. It's in Jesus himself alone. And yet he understands that at the same time, we still battle sin. We still do things that, that disappoint God, that, that are not his will for our lives. And John reminds his readers and us that prayer then is so important. He goes on in verse 16 to say, if anyone sees his brother, and, and, and when John uses the word brother here, he's really talking in, in general about a follower of Christ, male or female. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. John tells us that we need to pray for fellow believers who sin, who are struggling with that. But he lifts up a particular kind of sin here. He says the sin not leading to death. And there's been a lot of discussion. What does John mean when he says the sin not leading to death? Well, we know that if you turn back to the Old Testament of the, of the, of the Bible, uh, in the law portion, it, it tells us that in, the, in first the tabernacle and later the temple, sacrifices were made to provide forgiveness for accidental or unconscious sins. But when the person willfully sinned, that, that they were either exiled or put to death. John has already made a distinction in his letter between those who continue in sin, who who, in other words, consistently live sinfully, who feel no remorse about doing those things, who have no desire to change. And, and th between those and, and those who follow Jesus, but do sin, which is the rest of us, which is a part of human condition, that we all struggle with that to some degree. But the question is, is it something I do intentionally or something that happens in trying to live my life? And it's likely that this is the distinction that, that John is making, that those who willfully, his words are, keep on sinning, who have no desire to trust God, no desire to be obedient to God. This means that they are living separated from him. And apart from God, the Christian faith understands there is nothing, there is not eternal life, but eternal death. But he says the Christ follower doesn't live this way. And, and Christ even sustains and protects the Christian from the evil one. But, but John tells us we should also pray for them. And he's reminding his readers, he's reminding all of us today here in the 21st century to pray for each other. Because we're in this 
together. Christianity is not a, a solitary lifestyle that I have pursued just on my own. It has always lived together in community with other followers of Christ, which is why we emphasize small groups in, in, this, in this church family. Um, some of you will be attending right after this a, a lunch gathering for our small group leaders out in the coffee shop, and I am so grateful to you because you, you, you're, the time you give and the leadership you provide helps so many of us walk in that journey because we it's so easy in this world to isolate ourselves and 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 get separated but we are called to walk this journey together to live it together to help each other to pray for one another because john says we're in a battle there's a spiritual war going on against the real devil he goes on in 19 to say we know that we are from god and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Now, interestingly, when we look at these two verses, 19 and 20, and we back up and look also at verse 18, John actually here is emphasizing three points that he's made throughout his letter that he's trying to kind of drive home here as he ends this letter. And they are reasons that we can have confidence. He starts each one of them with the phrase, we know. So in verse 18, he he says, we know. And he goes on to say, essentially, that we know we are set free from the power of sin. Yes, we may sin. But with Christ in our lives, we don't have to keep on sinning. It doesn't have to be our lifestyle. It doesn't have to be something that we have no, we never again have any control over. That we are not slaves to sin. We are not addicted to this. John says, he, he who was born of God, now talking about Jesus, protects the Christ follower. Jesus protects his own from the enemy. But as the Apostle Paul reminds us, the same cannot be said for the person who doesn't put their faith in Christ. In writing to the Corinthians, Paul said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, the follower of Christ, when we make our decision to trust him, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, the Spirit of God himself. And where the Spirit of God resides, the Spirit of the enemy cannot be. And, and that's why there is a difference that, and even in how he enables us to see things and proceed. S- second, he tells us in verse 19, we know that we're on the side of God against the world. Because the default power in our world today is the devil. And only when we welcome Christ into our lives do we find ourselves now on God's side, which explains why there can be so much disdain for Christians in this world today and and, and our desire to do his will, to follow him, to obey him, to live for him each day. There, There are people who love to laugh at that or make fun of that. But that's because there is an enemy who is opposed to God. And yet the good news is when we look at the Bible God's word, and we go all the way to the end, we discover that God wins. That God, who stands outside of time, who created all there is and is not bound by time, has already told us that in the end, He wills, He does triumph. And that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to follow Him also join in that triumph. So that as we follow Christ, we join the winning team. And finally, in verse 20, 
John says, we know then that we are set free by the truth, that we don't have to go along to get along. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to say, well, everything's just always, there's no problems in my life because I need to look good for you. I need to, I, I need to come across in a, in a more positive way. You know, if life is, is going down the toilet, sometimes that's what we've got to say. And it's not that then somebody thinks less of us because ultimately our value, our worth is found in what God says about us, who created us, who knows us, who loves us, who cares about us. Yes, we still sin, but we're forgiven. Yes, we face tribulation, but we're not alone. God is on our side, and as we stay connected to God through Christ, we are obeying Christ's commands. We are abiding in him, and Jesus says, that sets us free. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To know that we are loved, to know that we matter, to know that our life has significance and purpose, that we're not random molecules, that before the beginning of time, God envisioned us and created us and brought us into existence, and we are here today, and his death on the cross proves that, that, that we don't have to first get our lives correct. The, the, the Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that there is not this need to first fix it all. Christ says, don't fix it all on your own. That's part of the problem. Let me help you fix it. Let me come into your life. Let me, through my spirit, work in you so that your life can move forward. And no matter what happens around you, it, it doesn't derail you. It doesn't destroy you. It doesn't defeat you. It doesn't mean that you always have to like what happens. You know, you don't have to be always smiles. Oh, look, everything's fine. I'm, my life is falling apart, but everything's fine. That's not what it's saying. Because sometimes that's life. But it means that whatever is happening doesn't have the last word in how we value ourselves, how we understand ourselves, how we serve others, how we go forward in this life. John says we are in him who is true, who is truth as well as love, Jesus Christ, who is the true God and eternal life. And, and as he has done all throughout his letter, John anchors his faith his, in the truth in Jesus himself, who is fully man and fully God. I mean, our, our confidence doesn't come in, 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 in what we do. What good, how good of grades I get? How, how far along I get in my job? How, how good I do in that relationship? It, it's not even, it doesn't even come in what we experience or what we know, but in who we know. And who we know makes all the difference in the world. Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. And John, with that hanging, John concludes his letter with one last loving thought for his, his heirs of faith, his children of faith. He writes in the last verse, little children, then keep yourselves from idols. That may kind of seem like a kind of a, an abrupt, strange ending. Instead of uh, take care of yourself, I, I, we love you, we'll, we'll be in touch, or you know any other kind of ending like that. But John understood that where these folks lived, as in much of the Eastern world of that time, that rampants were idols were rampant. 
And the truth of the matter is there still are today. They're just not little statues anymore. Our, our idols today often are blocks of metal that have four tires on them. Or they're this big, beautiful home. Or they're this position at work that we think if I could just get to there, everything would be fine. Or what I have in my wallet or in my, in my investment account, my brokerage account. Those are the things that we have to watch out for. In the Bible, an idol is seen symbolically as anything that competes with God or takes, attempts to take his place as first in our lives. The Bible warns all the way back in Exodus, it says the very first of the Ten Commandments, you will have no other gods before me with a little g, an idol. In other words, nothing else to take my place. So John is giving his beloved children this one last warning shot to watch out for anything that could become a substitute for God in their lives and ours. Anything that becomes first and most important instead of him. And the way we keep ourselves from idols is by focusing on God's visible revelation of himself, Jesus Christ. On abiding in him, on trusting him, on obeying in him. So that there's no room for the idols you know, that, that's how idols sneak in is when we, we don't even, aren't even aware of it. How do you keep something from rising to the top? You focus on something better, something more important, something more lasting. So John says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he and God, there's that abiding again. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. That passage back in chapter 4 is so important because it reminds us that his point is to abide. Abide in Christ, and Christ abides in us, giving us a confidence not in what we know, but in who we know in the midst of whatever comes our way, because it will come. And one of the ways that we abide in him is to remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion here together, because Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. He wanted us to understand that this cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, was also the instrument he used for the salvation of all those who put their trust in him, that he died for us while we were yet sinners, proving his love for each one of us. No exception, true for all of us, that he loves us. And so what do we find our confidence in? We find it in him. He who died for you and me. He who died... God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have life. Not just those of us who are already in this room who already know that, but for those beyond these walls, out in our communities, around the world. This is not a message just for a handful of us. This is a message that was created for God's creatures that he created, that he knew we would need this.
to know we are loved, to know we matter, to know our life can have significance in Him. And though we forget, we come together from time to time to remember, to ground ourselves again in the way, the truth, and the life. And so as Jesus gathered with His friends on the night before He was crucified, He took the bread loaf of bread and he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you eat this in remembrance of me then after the supper he took the cup and he passed it among his friends and he said drink from this all of you for this is my blood of a new covenant or a new relationship or a new way of seeing life this is my blood of a new covenant given for you and for many for all, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. And so in this time when we are focused on what he says about us, we keep coming back to him. It's not how I feel today. It's not whether or not I'm sick. It's not whether or not there's a storm on the horizon in my life. It's not whether or not my life is cratering at work. It's Him. He is the foundation given for us, to us, to live in spite of that. And so we gather here for this. But because all of us as followers, even followers of Christ, still battle sin, He calls us to Seek to confess those things, to receive forgiveness. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to begin a prayer and invite you to pray if you feel so led to do. Pray uh, just in your mind, talking to God, because God is omniscient. It, it doesn't, you don't have to speak out loud. You don't have to assume necessarily a particular posture. You can just simply talk to him. That's what he wants. He wants to be, it's a relationship. How do you talk to the person next to you? That's what he desires. But in confessing then, we lay them out before him. And there is some good news from that. And I'll tell you that in just a minute. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. For the forgiveness of our sins. And even though for many of us, we have moved out of that place in life where we intentionally keep on sinning, we still battle sin. We're not perfect. And until we arrive in heaven or we see Jesus face to face, we know that will continue to be a struggle in our lives. And so you call us to confess, to acknowledge what you already know that we ourselves need to admit. So, Father, hear our prayer now as we confess these things to you.
though these may not be all that are on our heart, we, we present these to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And here's the good news. It comes right out of 1 John. As he was writing to his friends in these churches, he said, if we confess God is faithful and just, in other words, he will do what is right to forgive us and it says even more than that, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all that is wrong in our lives, that he wants to transform us. And so here's the good news. I need to hear this just as much as anyone else in this room. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins, my sins, our sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God. This time I want to invite our servers to come forward as we prepare to actually serve communion in here. And in a moment, I'm going to serve one of them. And then I'm going to give you some, uh, uh, some instructions about how we'll proceed here in just a moment. understand that this is what we call the Lord's Supper. It's not Gateway Supper. It's what He offers, not what I offer. So we don't say you've got to be a member of our church or a member of this faith. But we do say if you're seeking after Christ, if you're seeking to know Him, if you're seeking to trust Him, then we welcome you to come and receive this gift. And that's what it is. It's a reminder that he, this gift of eternal life is ours. This gift of forgiveness is ours. And because it's a gift, sometimes we use, people like to use the language of take communion. But I want to suggest to you that we receive, because that's what we do with a gift, isn't it? We receive a gift. And I want to invite you to do that. As you come to the stations, and I'll tell you about those in just a second, they'll hand you a piece of bread, dip it into the juice a little bit, and then take and eat. Um, if you would like to pray, our, our front wall here is, can be used as a prayer altar, or you may return to your seats. Our, our band will be sharing a song that you can sing with them or just meditate or pray quietly on your own. Um, we'll have four groups of serving stations up here and four back here. And the one on my far left, your far right, is going to serve gluten-free. And what we want to do to just kind of make it move more smoothly is that when you feel prepared, if you feel led to participate, in these bottom sections, we'd like for you to get up and move left down your aisle and then turn right at the, at the corner and just follow the corner, come and be served, and then come back around on the other side and do this kind of this rotation. Everybody but you guys, for y'all, we want you to come to the center, uh, toward the center, and do that and go back the other way. For the risers, we ask you, there are stations in front of you that you would come down and, and move from there. If there's a line that's shorter, feel free to go to that one instead of one maybe that's longer. But this is the invitation that God has done this for you. He has prepared a table for you, a feast for you, because he loves you. Come 
to dinner. continue to pray, please do. Uh, we would love for you to continue talking to God. If you'd like to pray with someone, our prayer team will be down here and they'd love to talk with you, especially if you want to talk to them about who Jesus is and maybe what he could mean in your life today. We would welcome you to do that. I'll be out here with a couple of friends. If you're visiting or a guest today, we'd love to, to meet you to say hello. Uh, but let's close in, in prayer, with, shall we? Gracious God, you love us so much. Your love is unending. And you invite us to abide in that love, to abide in you, that we might have eternal life now and forever, and that we can have a confidence to know that. We can go in, through life, no matter what comes our way, and have an assurance that your love is constant and it is enough. Help us. Grab onto that, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.